Action Park Media. Welcome to Flashbacks. I'm Jessica Hall. And I'm Deanna Stacchiano. And today we are going to talk about something that has been on a lot of people's minds. There's headlines everywhere. A&E is doing this special about Hef and the life and these girlfriends, uh, former past, are coming on and just saying some, they're saying a lot. And I feel like, you know, we have this platform and I have discussed, you know, my Playboy past and just all my memories. And Deanna, you know, I think I have never said anything negative. I think you come in here and you only sing praises, not only about Hef, but the Playboy franchise in particular, that you had a really good experience. And I don't get the vibe. You know, I have seen a lot of the stuff that's in the media and I have watched bits and pieces of the show on A&E. And I am honestly kind of shocked because you really only say wonderful things about your time at the mansion and your time with Hef in particular. Particular and the way that he included you and allowed Kyle to come and the way the culture was there. Yes, my experience, um, I was there my entire 20s. I had, I mean, some of my best memories are from there. And Hef was not only good to me, but to my boyfriend at the time. Then he became my husband and he allowed him to come. I brought my in-laws. I brought my family. I mean, Easter was, everyone can have their own perception of what it is, but this is someone, you know, that was able to go up there and lucky enough to go up there for nine years. And I mean, actually, I think more than that. But it is kind of mind-blowing when I see these, you know, accusations and just stuff that's being said. And when my experience is totally different, but, you know, being part and, you know, that someone always says like part of the Playboy family. I had my good friend, Brian Alea, reach out to me. He was the mansion butler for 20 years. He was on Girls Next Door. He is a good guy all around. And, you know, when I see my friends that have worked there too for so long, they can't be in such a bad environment if, you know, they're such good people. So, you know, he reached out to me and said, you know, I want to come on. I want to, you know, bring others. And, you know, we want to say our side, our story. And being that we have this platform, you know, of course, you know, he's my friend. I trust him. I want him to come on and I, I want to hear other experiences and not just what's being said and what's being watched uh, right now. Well, it's also the really great thing is that you can hear it from different perspectives. And I imagine, too, as people who got to go to the parties and stuff at Playboy, they probably have their own experience as to what that was like being at the mansion or seeing Hef or like seeing some of the Playboy models or the bunnies or the girlfriends for that matter. I think everyone has their own experience, but it'll be really interesting to hear in studio today, people who lived there, people who were with Hef, people who like experienced him on a different level where like the masses, me as a viewer probably wouldn't know. And I think that's why there is so much conflict with the stories that are being told right now, because it feels like the experience is very divided. Yes. And even being a part of it, I get DMs. Uh, I just got one this morning of saying, you know, I always dreamed about going up to the mansion when I was younger. And I'm glad that I didn't get the chance now being, you know, what I've seen and what I watched. And I love following you and your family. And how could you be a part of that? Like, it's Mm -hmm. a message I got today. And I was just like, that's kind of unfair because my, like I said, my experience was nothing like that. So today, you know, here on Flashbacks, I clearly have talked about the flashbacks of the Playboy Mansion, you know, times of hosting Playboy Spring Break, all these like great memories that I've had had, I have already shared. So today I want to bring in three people that have been a part of the Playboy franchise that have lived there, that have more experiences than me to tell you know, how they feel. So without further ado, we are going to introduce Renee, Isabella, and Brian. Uh, Brian, can you please tell our listeners your background with Playboy? Yeah. Um, 
first, thank you for allowing us to do this, offering a platform for people to hear really from our point of view of what's been going on, all the lies. And I'm just going to call it out. They're lies that are being spread out there. But uh, yeah, I, I, I experienced the mansion for 21 years. You know, I was there from uh, 96 to uh, 2017 and in guest services, um, I saw half on a daily basis. You know, it's weird to say half. I mean, because I was just called him the boss, but uh, I saw him on a daily basis. And when A and E reached out to me, uh, it was about a year, year and a half ago, I guess, when they were starting to put this thing together. And I've done multiple different interviews and stuff. And you know, I had a, the radio show with Playboy Radio too, so all that. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to put this thing together. And then when they started talking about it, I go, well, call me back and we'll talk. And then when they called back, they had mentioned. Oh, yeah. Well, they mentioned a person and their book. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. What are you guys doing here? And I just got this really yucky feeling when I heard that they, she put out, put out a book and it's just fabrication. And for us that are there, it's like you're saying you got that text, you know, DM. And if people have asked me, they're like, Brian, how you were there. You were there for like two decades. Is that true? I'm like, dude, I want to listen to it straight out. Okay. The place was a family, right? Me, even as a Christian, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to allow myself to be in a place where I see people being harmed. Yes. You know, I would speak up for that. And I never saw that. Not once. It's a totally different world from what I witnessed. So so I want to get into this a little bit more, but I want to introduce the two yes, others in the room right now. But I do have a question about that. And yeah. I think um, Deanna, too, as not being a part of Playboy whatsoever. She has asked me questions in the past about things. And now this is your moment to kind of be the the listener mm -hmm. that so many are listening right now that may have the same questions as you. Um, Isabella, what is uh, your experience and time with the mansion? Hi, I'm Isabella St. James. I dated Hef from 2002 until 2004. So I was there for two solid years. I met him a couple years before that. I was still in law school at Pepperdine Law in Malibu. And he kind of pursued me while I was still a student. Um, but I did not move into the mansion and began dating him until I had graduated with my JD. So I also wrote a book called Bonnie Tales Behind Closed Doors at the Playboy Mansion that someone over there may have read. <laughs> I have definitely read the book. I read the book before I ever knew Jessica, but I read the book. I found it riveting. You know, I wrote the book straight out of the mansion, kind of trying to make sense of my life and my story. And if I was to rewrite the book or write it now, it would be a very different tale. I've learned a lot since then, had a lot of realizations. But so this may be an interesting perspective that I'm here because some people may think, oh, well, Isabella wrote a book and she talked a little bit smack here and there about different things that she saw there, experience. But the things that we're experiencing and hearing now are just not true. I can't speak to the women that were there decades before me. I'm only here to speak to the two years that I was there, what I saw. And I was there the entire time with Holly Madison. And the things she's saying are not true. So I'm here to address some of those situations and share my story. Renee? Hi, my name is Renee Bayo. When I was there, I was a Renee Sloan. I've since got married. I was there at the very, very, very end in December of 2001, just for like going out on Wednesdays and Fridays. But um, I was there all of 2002 and all of 2003 until the end of October, because it was the 50th. And yeah. I moved out to pursue a clothing company. And it was a conflict with the uh, big party that I think the Palms was having for Hef for the 50th year of Playboy in Vegas. It was a conflict and Hef um, agreed to let me move out, you know, and, and I was always welcome. And I was there at the same time as Holly and Isabella. Isabella. 
And I was brought into the group because I was um, really good friends with Tina Jordan. And at the time, she was Hef's main squeeze. And she wanted to get out. And nobody wanted her position. Nobody. And Holly was the one that stepped up and wanted to be the number one girlfriend. And everything that I guess was expected, like sleeping in the same bed. Yeah, I wanted to rest because a lot of us, if— you know, and again, I'm speaking from someone who mm-hmm. probably knows very little about Playboy or about what it, it means to be a girlfriend. So can you lay that out for us? I don't know what it means to be the number one girlfriend. Like, I understand that there was this whole group of, of women there with Hef and you were all considered girlfriends. But what does it mean when the one main okay. girlfriend steps out and you take so that place? I like Isabella. I can only speak for the two years that I was there. I don't know. I mean, I've met Sandra Theodore, but I don't know her. I've met her at the mansion. She was there in 2006. So she you know, went back so. to the mansion. Yes, I have a picture from of her in the Great Hall with former playmates. And Holly's also in the picture. And she was very happy. And if I was abused by someone and I and I went through childhood abuse, so I, I, I can identify with abuse, there's no way I would go into my abuser's home and break bread with them and pose for pictures. I just wouldn't do it. Understandable. You know, she mm-hmm. uh, evidently she did, obviously, because there's a photograph of it. But um, to answer your question, Hef liked to have, and Isabella, correct me if I'm wrong, Hef liked to have seven girlfriends because one's for each day. Ha ha. It's kind of like a gimmicky thing. But make no mistake, he had one main girlfriend and that girlfriend's duties was to uh, pretty much be with him whenever, you know, his companion at all times to sleep in the bedroom, share his bed. And uh, the rest of the girls, we were, I, I kind of considered us an entourage, so to speak. And we would go out on Wednesdays to Las Palmas and Fridays to Barfly. And we'd have a damn good time. I worked at Las Palmas. <laughs> hey, I joined <laughs> them on Friday. Bar, Barfly. <laughs> right? So, Las Palmas. I mean, it was a party. And, you know. But you didn't have to, like, do any other days or anything? Like, you guys were kind of off the hook the rest of the week. You were just, you know, you needed that one day. You would go out and party that one day. Two. Wednesdays and Fridays. Okay. And then if there were other uh, events that, that Hef was invited to, we were invited as well, like the the Golden Globes and the what the Grammys, that kind of stuff. And it was fun. It was glamorous, and you know we were both young, and I'm a little bit older than her, but we were both young, and and it was fun. And my intentions, because like I said, my best friend at the time, Tina Jordan, brought me in. We go back all the way until 1994. So from 1994 all the way up until 2002, we used to be Budweiser girls at the Forum on Tuesday. Tuesdays and Saturday nights. I'd drive up from San Diego and I'd stay at her house and we were Budweiser girls for boxing and it was just like a big deal and like a big party. And so I trusted her. Yeah. And she was Hef's main girlfriend and she was like, you you know, this is what's required of me, this, this, and this. And Hef saw a picture of me with her in her purse and he took it out and he says, who's this? And he, she said, this is my, one of my best friends, Renee. I know her forever. And he said, is she single? And at the time I really was single. And so he called me. I was living in Sherman Oaks, renting out a, a, a condo, and I'm in my garage washing my my clothes, you know, and hanging out with my dog. And he called me and he says, hello, my darling, this is Hef. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. And I hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> and about five minutes later, Mary O'Connor, didn't know who she was at the time, she called me and she said, uh, Tina Jordan gave us your number. And I was like, uh-oh. And I'm going to put Hef back on the phone and I, I want you to speak to him. And, I'm, and of course, I was like, oh, shit. I just hung up on this guy. Oh, my God. And so he got on the phone with me. 
And he said, um, I want you to come out with us on Wednesday night. And I said, well, that's not going to happen because at the time I'm a single mother and it's just not, it's not going to happen. I'm not just, you know, he called me on like a Monday or a Tuesday and like I can just make stuff happen. And find babysitters. Right. Of course. <laughs> and so I said, well, that's not going to happen. And he goes, well, what about Friday? And I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I went out on the Friday and then in the limo ride home, I was sitting right next to Tina and Tina sat next to half. She told me, she says, the girls are going to go upstairs. And I was like, okay. And she goes, no, the girls are going to go upstairs. And we take a bubble bath and we put on pink pajamas and we're going to go into the bedroom. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. And so I went home. And when you go there for the first time, I'd never been to the Playboy Mansion. There's a valet and he takes your car. And of course, I'm standing there at like, what is it? one thirty in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I see my car, but I don't have the keys. How am I going to find my keys? And Brian, I think that might have been one of the first times I met you. Uh, you or um, William, I believe it was. Well, Polly would have been the. Uh, but Polly was gone. Oh, Polly, Polly it was after hours, well, so yeah, I had to walk back into. I had to walk back into the mansion, into the great hall, and I found myself going through the Mediterranean room to the to the kitchen, and my keys were there, and I left. And then that happened for a couple of weeks before I ever went upstairs. And Hef called me uh, after the second time I left after going out on a Wednesday or a Friday. He called me and he said, "Hello, my darling." Tina tells me that uh, you have a little bit of fear and you have some concerns. And he says, I don't want you ever to do something that you're not comfortable with. And at the time, I, I really didn't even drink alcohol. And later on, some of the girls, you know who it is, Isabella, she would stick her finger in my champagne glass because it was Sprite, because it would bubble, because I didn't want to drink. Oh, okay. And she would tell on me. And, 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 and <laughs> I, I would too. But this, reson <laughs> this resonated with me very because half said, well, maybe Renee doesn't want to drink. Mm. So, oh, Hef said that. Hef said that. And to me, looking back, that speaks volumes of his character. He never wanted you to do anything or participate anything that you didn't wish to do. You know, it wasn't Sunday school. You know, yeah, let's yeah. be real. It wasn't yeah. Sunday yes. school. It was a Playboy mansion and it's yeah. a Playboy. <laughs> and you know what it's about. It's not Sunday school. So you kind of know, yeah. you know, what goes on and the painted girls at the parties and really they're naked. You know, yeah. but you got to look really close to see anything, you know, kind of, you know, and it's like uh, art, you know, right. And so, like I said, it's not Sunday school and going upstairs, I, you know, I realized what that was and stuff. And um, anyhow, he called me and it was on a Monday or a Tuesday night because he said, I have to wait until after my sons go home because I, we have family night or we watch the Simpsons or so. I don't know, something with Kimberly, whom I'm still really close friends with. Uh, Kimberly uh, is Hef's ex-wife. Oh, right. he has and children. The with. mother of Marston and Cooper Hefner. Yes. Right. So he called me and he's like, so you've never been to a party here? And I said, no, sir. I've never been to a party. The other night, a couple of weeks ago, was the first time I've ever set foot on, you know, on campus or to your property and to your campus. home. <laughs> right? I mean, your home, right? Campus. It That's is cute. a campus. Yeah. It's like seven acres. So um, listen, if you have a zoo, it's a campus, right? Yeah. So anyhow, he's like, would you come over? Would you come over so I can show you the grounds and I can show you around? And I said- Just you guys alone? Just us alone. Yes. And I drove up. It was around 7.30, 8 o'clock. And he took out a little flashlight from his um, red smoking robe. 
Yeah. They say it's a jacket. looks like a robe to me. Anyhow, and he had his little slippers on, and he's shuffling around. He showed me the game room, and he showed me the guest room, and he showed me the monkeys and the birds and, you know, like the snakes and iguanas that I really wasn't particularly interested in. And he showed me around, and he just said, you will never have to do anything that you're not comfortable with. Again, that resonated with me. And I thought, wow, he's such a gentleman. And when we got to to the game room, he showed me his star. He has the replica of the Hollywood star yeah. walk thing. And I remember he put out his hand to help me get up that step because he didn't want me to trip because it was at night. And one thing looking back that has resonated with me, and I think Isabella would also agree with this, it didn't matter how many girls were in the limo or, or his security detail. The minute the door was open to the limo, usually the person on his right, Holly or whoever, or maybe it was Zoe, I don't know, they would get out. He would get out and only half. He would stand there and he would extend his hand like a gentleman and he would help every single girl out of that limo every time. Wow. Growing up in the South, again, I took that into consideration. Oh, yeah. That goes a long way with with manners and stuff. He was the type of individual that had, you know, people to cook for him and to serve him. But that right there for the two years, I never once failed to see him once he was out of the car, extend his hand and be so kind to let every girl out. Isabella, you you were with me. And that's exactly what he did. So again, it was a party. It was a great time in my life. I'm so thankful for the opportunity and the experience that I had. Um, I grew up in the South where um, it was a Bible Belt and they go by your zip code. So we couldn't even get a Victoria's Secret uh, catalog because it was too Boreistic. So therefore, I had never seen Playboy. When I was going to school in San Diego, they came around and they wanted uh, scouting out girls for their college issue. I don't know what month it was, but I know I was asked and I I shared the letter that I got with Hef and Mary O'Connor years later. And I said, no, I didn't want to do it. No, 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 thank you. And I at no time ever wanted to pose for for the magazine, and it was my choice, and I don't fault anyone that, that does. And you did never you, felt pressured. Did you ultimately pose? No. You never did? I never did. And have asked me while I was there if I wanted to do, they had like the cyber girl stuff and, and lingerie stuff, and I just, it's just something that I just personally didn't want to do, and I don't fault anyone that that no, of course not. But so. um, Renee, for people who are listening, what was your role at the mansion? Did you just like come and I chill was, and hang out? I or was, were you a girlfriend? Was, yes, I was a girlfriend. You were. Of course, I was one of the seven girlfriends. I had room number five. Wow. And you had room number six. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but yes, Renee, absolutely. Back to the uh, never wanting to pose, but being asked. You just, you never felt pressured from anyone there. Absolutely not. No. Okay. Never. And Isabella? I think it's the opposite. I probably was relieved that people weren't heading up for a centerfold. Exactly. <laughs> that yeah, was, that I would was, imagine a lot of the girls, girls probably were did. just coming there for that reason and to or they use him. Or they would come up to the red ropes at the bar fly and try to get his attention. And a lot of them, a lot of times, would come home with us. And they would go upstairs because they thought maybe that's how they would get into the magazine. And forgive me, Jessica, but again, I mentioned that I have watched bits and pieces. And I watched The Girls Next Door. So, And I watched the documentary. Holly was pretty clear that like she wanted to be in the magazine that she asked several times. I mean, she said that in the A&E series that have told her that he didn't think that she was a good fit for the magazine, but that she asked several times. So I do find it pretty interesting that there, well, I guess a, that she's sharing so much of her uh, conflict from what she feels she experienced at the mansion. But 
I kind of feel like that might have been a goal from the beginning. And this is coming from someone who doesn't know Holly in the slightest. Right. I, I, I don't even know Kendra. I just know Jessica. But I watched the series and I, I just felt like that was probably a goal from the beginning. And, and I'm just a viewer standing on the outside. But that's why I love that you are in here because you are so on the outskirts of all of this that many people are probably having the same questions and um, that you're giving now. And these girls are here and Brian to, you know, to say what they felt and their experiences, because I think that matters too. And I just, some, you know, it is frustrating because, I mean, my personal experience, I have talked about it, but, you know, I had, a, I mean, have called me and asked me, you know, I was going up there a little bit. They asked me to pose. I was like, no way. Oh my gosh, I'm 19. And I'm like, this is the coolest place in the world. Don't take me home. Like, <laughs> she was in for the food I was on having, Sundays. Oh gosh, great food. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kia, like I oh, loved yeah. everybody up yes. there was so kind. And I think I always make a joke that, you know, I, I got my associates, but I never got to, you know, have that whole college, you know, sorority experience. And I kind of said that was like mine. And um, eventually, obviously, I posed like down the line. But when he asked me, uh, he called and I was already going there for a good year. And he asked me like to move in and he made the call himself. But I knew it was him because I have already been up there. And I was like, oh, damn it. I didn't want to. I didn't call him back the first time. He even left me a voicemail. <laughs> I did not call him back the first time. Then I got a second call. But I was like, oh, because I, I was with my boyfriend, who now is my husband at that time, though. I was like, oh, the fun's coming to an end. He's never going to let me back up there after I say no and that, you know, I have a boyfriend. You know what that man did? He goes, bring him. He's like, bring him up here. I go, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, Brian can vouch. I, yes, he, my yes. Kyle, who I've been with now for 18 years. But also had Kyle just, is really great. It doesn't matter, but have took a chance. Like, instead of, you know, not getting his way, like you said, he was a gentleman. He allowed Kyle to come up mm-hmm. just as much as me. I mean, I, the girls were always like, how is he here all the time? I go, I don't know. I'm not going to complain. And, I mean. And, and he was always supportive, I think, of all the girls, whether they be his girlfriends or the playmates. He always wanted to meet their significant other. But Even him, girlfriends that, like, left. Yeah. Because they my husband and I came someone. back and brought and it daughter. came back, you know. Yeah, I did. Brought- Kendra get married at the mansion. Half gave her away. I, yeah. I mean, there yeah. are so many pieces of yeah. this. Again, as a person, and we who were is married. <laughs> we were married by the same wedding wedding officiant. My husband and I, as, by as someone Kendra. who is completely <clears throat> removed. I feel like I see it even. When, and I'm, I'm saying this because you were there and you lived this, right? Even when you guys were all on the red carpet, it wasn't like Hef was like, be seen and not heard. Like he, I felt like stood in the background and let you guys shine. I mean, just as someone who has nothing to do with the show or just watched or whatever, like I feel like it wasn't just like, look at these women. I, I feel like he let you guys shine and not only just your true beauty on the outside, but just like who you guys really were. Like a, to me, someone who watched, I felt like he truly appreciated that and that he let that be known. It wasn't just like, I'm this man. I have this empire. I walk around with these beautiful women and that be it. I, I don't know. Isabella, you were there. What do you think? I'm here for one reason and one <laughs> reason only. And that is to say every girl that was there, that dated him, that lived there, that went there had a choice. You went by choice to attend a party, to view a movie, to do Sunday fun day. If you wanted to date him, he didn't make you. There was You didn't sign agreements. There was You chose to do it. He asked me, would you like to move in and be my girlfriend? I said, yes. I didn't have to. I had a law degree. I had other things to do, but I wanted to. I thought it was fun. 
I just spent years and years being a total nerd studying at McGill in Canada and Pepperdine. For me, it was so refreshing. I was like, really? I get to lay by the pool and order margarita and like go out and have fun. And <laughs> that's why I That's why I don't want to go home. And uh, there's a button on the phone zero that I press and order anything I want to eat even like I Zoe and I would order like five things for breakfast because we could you know because we could we didn't have to choose around the clock pancakes or is it going to be eggs well we're going to get both so it's really kind of disingenuous for these women to come out now and say you know just be victimized when it was all a choice Holly didn't have to stay there if it was so miserable for Holly why did she stay there for so many years why did she want to marry him why did she try to have his child? Why did she go on national television and do a show? Have this any was of you... all choice. She could have left. You know what? If someone was making me that miserable, I would have gone. When I moved out of the Playboy Mansion, it was because Hef had asked my best friend there, Zoe, to move out. And I was like, oh, hell no. I am not staying here with Holly and Bridget. It's going to be misery for me. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see myself out. That was a choice. No one made me. No one threatened mm-hmm. me. There was no blackmail photos. If Hef took photos of you being drunk and stupid, flashing your boob, that's your choice. That's right. Those photos were never made public. They, No one ever did anything with those. Not, 95% of every single one of those photos from the disposable cameras, I guarantee you these girls have them in scrapbooks. We all had them. We, because if you were in the copies. photo, you got a copy every of it. So one. how can it be revenge porn? Yeah. You know, and no one's making you being, you know, young and dumb or drunk and stupid in a limo on the ride home. If you flash your boobs or you kiss another girl, so what? You chose to do it. Yeah. After two or three times, don't do it. So, Deanna, what Renee is saying, you know, I was only, obviously, I didn't live there, but I would go up there on the weekends. And, like, I remember going up the following weekend, and Hef would always have all the photos printed out that were taken. So, he had a copy. You had a copy. And, I mean, I, I, it's funny because I was laughing at myself. So, I was like, oh, my God, how drunk did I get? Because there's a topless photo of me in the grotto. You know, like, but it's funny because I'm looking at it now, like, oh, God. And, you know, now, now I'm looking, I miss those tits. But the thing is, they've been through a lot. They've been through a lot. But the thing is, is everything from my experience was, like, out in the open. And clearly, I've never lived there like the two of you. And obviously, you probably be, been there longer than anybody, Brian. Well, and and Brian also has a very interesting take on all of this because you work on a fully, like, completely different side than, say, yeah. Renee and Isabella. Like, you see something polar opposite. And it is very different to work for someone versus choosing to be with someone. It's a very different side. And so I so appreciate that you're even here and you worked there for so long and saying, like, it, it just wasn't like that. The, the problem that I'm having when this so for those who know, Amy did reach out to me, wanted me to do this thing I was saying that earlier. And when I found out, I just had this really bad feeling. So I turned it down and turned it down, said, nope, not interested, not going to do this. And I even called up my my friend, Josh, Josh Friedman. We all know Josh, yes. bartender, you know, extraordinaire. <laughs> and he was approached too. And I, we had a long talk. He goes, something's wrong here. I go, I've done plenty of these things, but something's wrong here. I can tell, dude, I think this is going to be turned into some kind of like hit piece. And lo and behold, wow. mm-hmm. it's what came out. Josh called me up. You were right. You were right. Oh my God. I go, dude, intuition was saying something to me. But like I had said earlier, friends have come up to me and said, is this true? Is it true? And I go, look, people can't hide what they really are, you know? So how does a person being portrayed as a monster be the gentleman that we all experienced? I was there like the majority of my, those years, you know what I mean? Of my my life. People ask me all the time, did you, did you, you know, did you stay at the mansion? Did you sleep there? I'm like, no, I lived there. I just didn't sleep there. Because all my working hours were constant, nonstop with him and personally with him, you know, and the man was always please and thank you. 
from day one to the end. So when, when Renee's talking about like, you know, he was a gentleman, I witnessed that. Yes, I would be at the airport. I'd have to be there, me and one, one of the other butlers and security, and we'd witness this. And I've, I've seen him always go out of his way to be a gentleman. And I'm like going, where's this monster that everyone, they're, they're trying to portray right now. And from these few individuals, there are hundreds, I mean, hundreds of people that are going, this doesn't make sense. But I think that's the piece that speaks volumes. And I can't say this enough as coming from someone who has absolutely no idea what Hef is like or how the mansion works or anything behind the scenes. But I have seen the show and there are several of his friends and other people who worked at the mansion that stand up and say, oh, no, no, we all saw Holly, for instance. We all kind of knew that this was kind of her desire, you know, and and these people give their interviews. And I feel like those pieces speak wonders because someone who is just a viewer, I feel like it was pretty plain to see even when it was just the girls next door that Holly ran the show, for instance. Do you know what I mean? Like you could kind of see the dominance, you know, or how she controlled the situation. And again, I have no clue. I don't know any of these people, but you could kind of see the way that she can control the, the, the situation. And I remember one thing from watching the A&E series where she mm-hmm. says there was this moment when they're filming the girls next door and she's sitting at the table with, with Hef and he's saying something to her really sweet on camera because they're filming. And then she mentions that she kind of ducks her head into Hef's neck and like hides her face because she was mortified because she didn't know how to fake it, I guess. And I thought, wait, that's what she said. She didn't say that. No, she didn't say those exact words, but she was saying like, Hef was saying all these really wonderful things to her. And she didn't know how with the cameras there to to portray that she was not into it or that she, I don't remember the exact wording, but she was implying that like, it was really difficult for her. So she hid her face when Hef was saying these really wonderful things. And she was sharing like, it should have been a really beautiful moment for me, but I couldn't get out of the situation fast enough, right? For me in a situation like that, watching that as a viewer, I thought, why didn't she just leave? Why didn't she just leave? If it was that miserable, if he was really that awful to her. And again, I understand there's pieces of like trauma and stuff that pull on people, but she chose to be there. There are so many photos of her with seven other women where she wasn't the main girlfriend per se. That's when uh, Renee and Isabella were there. That's when we first came in. Now, before I ever moved in, half invited me to go on a trip. It was the trip to New York. You and I, I think, were roommates uh, in the hotel when we were in New York. And Hef was there for a publishing award. He and Martha Stewart got a got an award. And Hef took us to a show. Uh, it was the, I don't know what it was. Was it the, on, like, the, on the guy Broadway? from Ferris Bueller. Uh, they, he had a, some Broadway show. Matthew he took Broderick, us, yeah. Matthew Broderick, yes. And so then he wanted me to stay at the mansion overnight because he was so concerned that I was going to hit traffic and I was going to miss the flight. And I called Tina and I said, I'm not staying at the Playboy Mansion. I'm not spending the night there. Are you kidding me? Uh, why doesn't he think that I'm old enough and, you know, have the means to get there and, you know, park my car at the airport, whatever, right? And so she talked me into it. And I said, okay. And we get there. When I show up, um, butlers take my luggage and, you know, and she starts walking up the stairs. And I'm thinking she's going to lead me to a bedroom that I can stay in. And she's like, well, there's no empty rooms. And this was before the bunny house across the street was bought. So girls that were coming in for testing, they they occupied the guest house. Mm-hmm. And whenever I first moved in as a girlfriend, I lived in the guest house until Hef told me it was costing too much money because he had to rent everything back. Would I please move in a new room 
five, which I did uh, eventually. And so I'm like, okay, so she leads me into Hef's master bedroom with her. And I'm like, well, I'm not sleeping in bed with y'all. That ain't going to happen, you know? So the butlers came up and the he had a couch, kind of like a half circle looking couch yeah, yeah, in yeah. the sitting area. And they made a pallet for me. And that's where I slept the night before. And right before I went to bed, he came over and he settled on the couch and he gave me the bunny diamond necklace. He uh-huh. said, I want you to officially be one of us. Oh, that's what a wonderful memory. That's really sweet. And actually. he said, and I want you to have one too, because everyone that gets on the plane tomorrow is going to have one. And I want you to have yours. Oh, I said, I, I honestly have okay. cold chills. I, I said, think that's really sweet. Okay, that's really cool. So, you know, I think I had a, like a heart necklace on. I took it off and he put it on and that was that. And we woke up and had breakfast, went down to the Mediterranean room with Tina. We had breakfast and we wore little track suits. I think we all had juicy track suits at that time. And we all went on the <laughs> plane fitting. and we had a great time. And that was whenever I first actually got the to know Isabella because we shared know, the hotel room for the same time. And I think uh, in her book, uh, she said that I, I'd never let her sleep because I'd wake up so early and go work out. And <laughs> I didn't let her get her sleep. And, and I was kind of into working out and that kind of stuff. I miss my boobs so, from 20 years ago, too, see, by the way. I miss my belly. <laughs> I miss my belly from 20 years ago. So but like, you I know, said, it's fine. I said, Hef never bought me an animal. He never bought me any cosmetic surgery. But I think I had an ingrown toenail. I had to have surgery on and I was on crutches for like, I don't know, five days. But, it, you know, I was fine with my boobs. And I was fine with my little uh, Pomeranian when I moved into the mansion. But, um, you know, and I, I don't hold any ill will for people that had nose jobs. I was there for Holly's, what, one, two, and three nose jobs or something like that. So can um, I ask you something, Renee? You talk about, I remember Tina Jordan vaguely. Um, I was about 18, you know, senior year of high school. I was like recruited to come up there and I, and I was like, this place is magical. Like, you know, I went <laughs> to my first party and I was like, there's Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears. And I'm and being an 18 year old, I was literally in my senior year. You know me well. I'd have been all over that. I was like, where am I? But Tina was the main girlfriend at the time. And I remember her and I remember all of you. Has Tina spoken? out has do you have do you guys reach out to your other friends other people that have experienced the same experiences that you have are they just being quiet or they i i I haven't heard why did you two choose to stand up i haven't heard from tina and it's been a while okay probably about well i think i spoke to her right before the pandemic started but my my point of of sharing my first night ever at the mansion was that morning when we got ready to go. She took me into the closet area and it was like a corridor, like a maze of like uh, cabinetry. You didn't see clothes hanging. They were all in closed door cabinets that was adjacent to- um, As they should be. Uh, to the, right? It, it was adjacent to the master bathroom. And she's like, I want to show you what Holly's doing. She knows that I'm leaving because I want to leave the mansion after this trip. She knows I'm leaving, but look, look at this. And she showed me these plastic bins from where evidently I can't I, I didn't witness it but so I'll say allegedly Holly was removing her personal items and putting Tina's clothing and stuff in plastic bins before she could even move out she was already moving her stuff in to the master bedroom and have lost his cookies and reamed her Holly we're doing that mm-hmm. because Hef was in love with Tina. She was his number one girl. He didn't know that she was about to break up with him and move. Mm-hmm. But before Tina could do that, Holly started moving in and he really resented that. He Absolutely. was like, you're step back. You're out of place. Okay. Holly from day one wanted to be his girlfriend, wanted Absolutely. to be his number one girlfriend. No one else wanted that position because no one else wanted to watch old movies every night. We had freedom to do whatever we wanted all day, every day until 9 p.m. 9 p.m. was curfew. We were home by night. We had to go out twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. Otherwise, you could do whatever the heck you wanted. 
tennis lessons, whatever you wanted. We had freedom. But if you were his girlfriend, the the main girlfriend, you had to sleep in his room, watch the things he wanted to watch, watch all the old films on Fridays, Saturdays. And we didn't want to do that. You know, we didn't want the obligation. I was there for a good time to have fun, to have fun with the girls. I became really good friends with a few of them and enjoy the parties and the lifestyle and just enjoy the atmosphere that was there, the positive, fun, family atmosphere. And we would shoot the butlers with water guns, Zoe and I, and like we would order drinks and then spray them. And they were so mad, but we had a great time. But that girl had one goal in mind, to be the number one girl, to get rid of all the girlfriends. She made our life miserable. The two years I was there, I would say the only thing that sucked about the Playboy Mansion was Holly. She made us miserable. If we wanted to go on a trip, she would talk half out of it. If we wanted to do anything, she would always find ways to undermine us. Remember the get the gifts for Christmas that the girls got when Tina the was there, and then the, and then the ones that yeah. we got that Holly picked out, yeah. where she went downtown to the mart and picked out. She little literally had had give us like stuff from the Smithsonian Museum for Christmas, like, and we were like, "What? What are these glass?" But ducks the girls from- before. Us got like designer <laughs> like, stuff. Yeah, like, like there's no there's um, anything that will make us unhappy. We wanted like designer purses and whatever. No, it was like you're getting you know this fake Fabergé egg. Yeah, what, but is she, a, is she a girls' girl? You, do you know what I mean? She's like a not girl's a girls' girl. girl. She's no. not even a people's person. But She's not, <laughs> she and Bridget seem to like each other a That's lot. That's because she needed someone to help her uh, execute her plans. Yeah. Every week was, it was like someone was potentially on the chopping block to get kicked out. Yeah. And I can tell you that the two years I was there, I never uh, ha- have had zero tolerance for people doing cocaine or any type yes, of this is important. drugs. It's, yeah. ab- it's absolutely important. Or if you were into uh, if you were a porn star, wanted nothing to do with it. And yes. girls would be asked to leave if he found out that was the case. And sometimes yep. some of the girls that were coming in to test and stuff, Holly would get into his ear and say, oh, well, she did this or she did that to try to stop them from even being a playmate. Oh, my God. Renee, that's really important, though, because on the A&E series, they are talking about right. Hef in particular yes. offering drugs on some right. of those and guys having, that you guys went and, out. And having drug runners and stuff. Listen, I don't know what happened in the 60s or the 70s. Sure. You know, I know about Woodstock because I've read it and the hippies and the sex, drugs and rock and roll. I can't speak for if Hef ever did that um, because that's not who I am. I can only speak for my experiences. I never saw him do drugs like that at all. Uh, I saw him smoke medical marijuana, you know, once or twice, but I've never saw him uh, do cocaine. He had zero, I'll say it again, he had zero tolerance for illegal drugs. Absolutely zero tolerance for illegal drugs. If he found out that any of the girlfriends were doing cocaine, they were out. They're out. And if he found out any of the girls coming to test for Playmate were doing cocaine, you were also out. That's not who he wanted to represent the magazine. That's not what he wanted. And it's so ironic that Holly is using this card now against him when she would be the one to use this to get other girls in trouble. When the beautiful woman came to test for Playboy and wanted to be a Playmate, and Hef was interested in her and he always made it very obvious. She was so, we didn't care. We were like, hey, great, another one. The more the merrier, you know. Um, But she wanted him. So she was always threatened. So she would always start a rumor. Oh, well, she does coke, Hef. This is, if playmates out there only knew how many of them were sabotaged or she tried to sabotage Mm -hmm. from getting the centerfold, from undermining them, from whatever reason. This was her go-to. So for her to now use this against them, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's really sad to me. I'm sorry, Brian. It's really sad to me because as 
I watched bits and pieces of the A&E documentary, and it's really sad to see someone who is portrayed to love this man so much, right? To be his girlfriend for so long, to beg him to marry her, to have, want to have babies with her. Mm. To, take it, to take his will whenever he's sleeping and run to Bridget's room and read it to see if she's in it. All those things make my skin crawl because I think when it comes down to even just goodness gracious, just the the piece of who she is as a human being. That's to me, that's really disturbing. And I don't know any of these. Have have any of you tried to reach out to Holly Crystal, anyone? No, but I did an open letter to Holly and uh, and it went viral. And and I did one (laughs) yesterday to Crystal and I hope it goes viral too, because uh, I'm very friendly with her her mom and her ex-stepfather. We have a, a place in the desert and her mom used to own a place, a restaurant and bar, jazz place. Crystal's mom. Um, Yes. And I'm very friendly with her, you know, her parents and um, her stepfather raised her like his own. So very friendly with them. But I will say this. I have a good life. I have an easy life. I have a quiet life with my family. Took me a long time to have my own family. And I don't need this. She wrote a book. I said nothing. She wrote things about me. I said nothing. Holly wrote a book. I said nothing. When you drag a dead man that can't defend himself, you've poked the bear. I'm going to say something. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my skin's like, and I know I am too. They, they've written books. We were not best friends when we lived at the mansion. We were, we were like, you know, housemates and stuff. But she already disclosed that Zoe was her best friend. And Bridget was Holly's best friend. I kind of was the Lone Ranger. I was the thumb whenever all the other girls were over <laughs> here. I just kind of, I had one mission. I was a single mom. I wanted to start a clothing company. I had my business degree. I worked on my business model and my plan. I knew exactly what I needed to do to get it. And whenever I left there, it was the reason being is because my brand new clothing company got into the Emmy gift baskets. And it took, it was very hard. And in less than three weeks, I had 50 Cent wearing my trucker hat. I had uh, Paris uh, Hilton and Nicole Richie. They had their show at the time wearing my brand. And my brand took off to the point where my silk screener was the same one that Diesel brand had. And they ripped me off and I sued them and they bought me out. They bought me out for over six figures. Wow. So that was my brand. That was my that was my MO. Whenever I left there, I left with the means to be able to support, you know, my new business. And that was it. I did not have an agenda. I did not want to be a playmate. I did not want to be a cyber girl of the month. I did not want to do the lingerie and the flats and all the other stuff. I did not want to be his girlfriend. I did not want to uh, overstay. And once I reached to that point and it became that conflict with the 50th, you know, birthday or anniversary of Playboy, Hef was so gracious. I said, I've been here for two years. Give me two weeks. And he said, if this is what you need to do, you have my blessing. And you were always welcome in my home. Wow. And what she's saying goes to the fact that everyone chose to be there, chose to live there, chose to date him, chose to leave. No one had to stay. And that's why Holly's claims and everything she's saying now, it's just so sad because no one wanted to be there more than this girl. She would have, I believe she would have stabbed us in our sleep if she could to to get rid of us. She wanted us gone. She wanted to be the only one. So don't, it's it's just so not sincere. It's just such, Brett, what's your take on this? You it's were funny, there, you I'm, I'm hearing this, right? And from our point of view, understand, the butlers hear everything. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> butlers hear Uh-oh. everything. And also, you got to remember, when these girls are there, who else they got to talk? There is There was a nine o'clock curfew. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. That is true. Well, I imagine at 22, not, that kind of sucked. Nine o'clock. You're probably like, well, I'm just now waking I up was for the 29. day. I was 29. I was 29. that's but- the only worry that you had was a curfew. And every your life was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty easy living at the Playboy Mansion. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, am, I am absolutely I agreeing. Would, I get that they can say like, oh, nine o'clock, that kind of sucks at that young of an age. Right. But like, also, you have well, no rent. You have no place. Place. But I was a single mom. I had a house in Sherman Oaks and I had a best friend that was a single mom of a son and she needed a place to live. I was buying a house and had a mortgage and stuff and it, and it just worked out great because my daughter was going to school, you know, in the valley and I did not take her to school Monday through Friday, but I picked her up from school every single day and we had a nine o'clock curfew. Her bedtime was 8, 830. She was in middle school. Mm. And uh, I got to see her every day after school. She went to bed. I went over to the mansion. And then on the weekends, Hef allowed her to come and stay. And if I thought for a minute there was any abuse or drugs or any of that, as a mother, there's no way I would have allowed that. As a matter of fact, and Brian, you're probably going to remember this, on Marston, Marston Hefner's 13th birthday, he had a, like a Moroccan theme. It was all tinted. And there was like, I don't know, 500 kids up there. And he invited like the whole school. And when he's on their microphone, he asked my daughter to be his girlfriend. And she took the microphone and says, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to have a boyfriend and just destroyed the boy. Just <laughs> oh, destroyed so him. <laughs> but her best friend was Cameron Grimes at the time. And this is an award, Emmy Award winning actress, soap star actress. And they were they went to school together. And her family allowed her to stay there a lot of times on the weekends and hang out. And it was, you know, Martian and Cooper and the one kid that did the commercials. I can't think of his name. And then Thora Birch's little brother. They all hung out and they were like the best of best friends. Friends. Mark like Hamill, camp on the weekend. Mark Hamill's <laughs> daughter, Chelsea, uh-huh. uh, to this day is still really close to my daughter. And they all met at the mansion. It was a family-oriented, you know, um, experience. Whenever my daughter had a science project or a baking project, who did she go to? <laughs> That'd be Lori. Actually, I was just going to say, I want to pivot yeah, the conversation just a bit no, because, no, Brian, I think you're— I'm like, like I said, as I'm Well, you're in this, such a I'm unique position. Back, like, well, I remember helping your daughter do her science project on the weekends. This is what people say, dude, it was like, it was like a family. I don't know how to explain. Look, we have a reunion, okay? Name me any other company, right, where all the employees and the friends of the owner of that company all get together after it's been disbanded. Yeah. There's not one company that does that. We do. Because everyone was so, we just got so close to each other. I mean, we, we, we worked so many hours, we worked all our holidays together. And then we were always like, you know, you bring your daughter over, Hey, let's help out. And she would be in the kitchen baking or whatever, helping Lori. If she needed to do a, did she do like a lemonade stand thing? I mean, she did that with the boys. Yeah. I mean, look, Marston Cooper back then, that's when they were young and they're running around making movies and playing. It's like, people didn't see that. Maybe they got a glimpse at Easter, but that was no, that was every weekend, all the time mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. And we were there to help out the kids and do whatever they needed. And that's why I say it just, it just, it really pisses me off <laughs> that uh, they're speaking about a man who can't even defend himself and a man that I know I love, you know, I and, mean. and all of us do, you know, that man just, he was, that was something about him. I don't know what it was, but man, you just in, in his presence and you wanted to do everything. And he was so gracious and kind. He never yelled. He never, I know so many people in, in the service industry and they hate where they work, you know, cause they're always berated, put down, you know, yeah. you didn't get that. You didn't get that. And like I was saying, the butlers heard everything. We yeah. heard it. We heard it. We did. Hear? 
Well, come on, especially <laughs> the graveyard butlers. You okay, know what so I mean? They would guys, tell what us. What did you think of Holly? They, what was the impression? Well, that's the thing. They would talk about, like, the girls would come down pissed off or upset because that they would end up telling the butler, well, Holly just did this to me. Well, Holly's trying to frame me on this now. Holly's trying to do. So we all knew the background. We couldn't say anything. We were there, but we were hearing it all and we were watching it all. Look, how does someone say that they couldn't stand this place, right? Yet want to not only marry the man, everyone saw that. Uh, yeah. Uh, all, oh, come on. All the fertility uh, uh, yeah. appointments because it was serious. She wanted to have his baby, but to even go to the extent of she wanted to be part of the company. Okay. So you yeah, see, that's, was, it's like, come on. It's not like, you know, she wanted to be part of the company. She was so wanting to be part of Playboy. She, she literally started taking over photo shoots, you know, and, and she was helping pick who but the she new. She says in the A&E docuseries that she only did that for uh, the show, The Girls Next Door, that they needed to find a role for her. Oh, so, so, well, I'm a listener. Clarify <laughs> for me. I'm a viewer. I watched. She says that that was only done to give her a role for the girls next door. That's not what, what were the role saw. of the other two girls then? Yeah. Yeah. You come, tell me. How come Bridget wasn't, I, you know, having I a role with the with company that. or Kendra wasn't having a role with Holly just you know wanted I mean? power she, and influence yeah. and she wanted to be in charge. And, you know, she really had a hard time finding her own identity. So this was the weirdest thing. And it's crazy that she accuses this playboy and half of being cult-like because the only person that was cult-like there was, was her. She came in and this is really creepy and really weird, but she tried to emulate girlfriends he had in the past. So Barbie Benton was a great love of his life. So she would dress like schoolgirlish and and try to appeal to him in that way. Then he was really fond of the twins, the Bentley twins. Wow. The Bentley twins and Brandy Roderick, who she really looked up to, used to wear these really dazzling dresses by Baracci. None of us girls would wear that stuff. It was like, it was more, it was like Dolly Parton on drugs. We were like, no thanks. But she <laughs> went back to Baracci and had these dresses made just like the other girlfriends and wore them, would always wear them. And it was, we were like, why are you always emulating? So we all know Hef's favorite woman in the world was Marilyn Monroe. Holly went off to chop her hair with a photo of Marilyn to yep. look like Marilyn, got it super bleached, got it cut and wore a red dress like Marilyn wore in the movies. And red lipstick. And red lipstick. Mm -hmm. And she came home really happy to impress him. And now this is maybe not a nice part, but this is true. He said, you look like a harlot. Take that red lipstick off. Um, he did not appreciate it. He was like, what, why are you, what are you doing? But she would always attempt to morph into some previous girlfriend and what he liked about those women. It was just the weirdest, weirdest thing. It was always to just make herself closer and better. And also, remember this? Uh, yeah, I do. And also Jean Harlow, because Hef had a had a, a fond uh, love for Jean Harlow. Oh, I remember the whole and, thing. And she had framed pictures in her dressing area of Jean mm -hmm. Harlow and her first white Pomeranian was named Harlow. It's just, she had no identity. She kind of like was a chameleon. If you're on a tree, you're brown. When you walk to the leaf, you turn green kind of a thing. And she had a motive. She had an intent and she had an agenda. And that was her motivation was to be Hef's only one. Yep. Not the number one, but the oh only God. one. And at what cost? Now, I think looking back from the time I was there until present, this screams of a scorned woman. Yeah. She has she's full of regret because of her choices. And when I called her out publicly, I said, You would still be living 
couch surfing on some, you know, behind the Chinese man theater working at Hooters. He made you rich. And this applies to a lot of girls and a lot of uh, Crystal in particular. He made you both rich and famous. No one would, would know who you were if it wasn't for half. You wouldn't have two dimes to rub together, together most probably. And you have regret of your poor decisions. No one asked you to be the number one girlfriend. No one asked you to do anything um, sexually that you weren't comfortable with. You chose it. I want to interrupt for just a second. And this question is straight across the board. Uh, Renee, Isabella, Brian, if Holly was this way, why do you think Hef stayed in it for so long? Do you think he truly loved her, accepted her? Do you do you think she was the ideal girlfriend? It sounded like before he had pretty great girlfriends, but why did she hold this position for so long? Why did he marry Crystal and not her? Why did he? You tell me. I have no idea. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, See, that's, no one else wants to take this on. It's a great question. Yeah, um, it is. Honestly, I think that he was flattered uh, by the devotion that she was showing. She was so extremely devoted to him, whether it was healthy or not healthy, willingly devoted to him. No one else was willing to do, that. like I said, no one was willing to sit there and watch those old movies. No one was willing to play that part. Dress no like one was him. willing to dress you know she had that own freaking crimson robe made for herself? Right, they would dress like, just alike. They would dress the same. It was creepy. She made them match every time we went out to make sure that he, they looked identical. Like if she, he was, she was wearing red, he would wear a red shirt. Like It was always matchy-matchy. What do you call it? She called him Puffin? Puffin, puffin, muffin. And muffin, or muffin and Muffin. Muffin and Puffin, yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> But she convinced him. She is so good at that. She just was slavishly devoted to this man, willing to do anything and everything, eating the same things. Like, I mean, she completely inhabited that that person, that personality, that, that partnership. There was, I think at his age, he knew he was either going to have a woman who was slavishly devoted to him, willing to do everything and anything for him, or the rest of us, you know, young weirdos who were running around <laughs> wearing like, you know, stockings and and skirts the size of our belts. And I was wearing trucker hats. And he was like, what? Well, this is not very bondage. <laughs> I can't this imagine. It's not very ladylike. <laughs> now, why, you know, why can't you girls be more like Holly? Mm-hmm. We were like, cuz we're young and crazy. We want to be that way. And you like us for this, you know? Like we mm-hmm. were something different and refreshing to him. So I think she convinced him of that devotion. And I think, you know, she was willing to do things that nobody else would do in, in every aspect of their life. And I'm not going to get into this because I don't think it's right. Um, I'm not here to talk about people's personal sexual business but she was you know and her regrets now I think are tied to that and we all saw it and we all witnessed it but she was willing to do so much more than any other woman would be willing to do but but you're not saying anything that's not already out there like that stuff is already out there that like she has said no one was allowed to finish half off but her right she has said that yeah and she was controlling about it and she would freak out if anyone tried listen I'm not like a loosey-goosey by any means, but I doubt I would want to finish a man off after everyone else has been with him. Like that just would not be my shining role. <laughs> but it, I mean, but the, it was a power thing for her. There, you understand? I, I will say one thing, and I and I I believe that Isabella will agree with me. And uh, again, I don't have a a dog in this race right now, and I can only speak for the two years I was there. I cannot count on my hands and toes, and using your hands and toes, how many times. A few of us girls, and I I know that me and Zoe and Isabella, it happened quite a bit that when things got going, you know, in the bedroom, we would just kind of like roll off the bed and on our hands and knees and and crawl out and go and eat and hang out with the butlers. You didn't have to participate in things you didn't want to participate in. We would just 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 leave. 
We would just leave and go or go right back to your bedroom and you just, yeah, you didn't have to partake in it. You know, any of it. Every time I saw, um, you know, Holly Bridget and Kendra up there, clearly I'm, you know, still extremely close with Kendra, but uh, they were all happy, you know, and Holly was never mean to me. Bridget, I mean, everyone was just. It, to me, I didn't go up. I, I thought I always make a joke about like, I love women. I I get I mean, I got along with all the girls at the mansion. Like, it's kind of like a thing because everyone kind of just maybe because I didn't want anything at all. I was literally Brian knows just mm-hmm. I was having like so much fun. But she looked very content, very happy, very, you know, I didn't even have the time. Like, if I oh, want to go well with he- like the situation oh, being yeah, that yeah. like I wanted to if I want to go up to Hef, I was like, oh, I should probably kind of ask her first just to say hi. Why is playing bad gamma with the boys? You know, just out of her respect, because I felt that way sometimes like, oh, OK, I'm just because say hi she to him. made you feel that way. Well, because it's like just respect out of someone's boyfriend, you know, and I didn't want to like go up, you know, I'm in my bikini, even though he is Hugh Hefner, but I still felt like a level. That's just how much I, I saw how much she loved him, like how much and I just like wanted to be like, hey, you know, I'm just gonna go say hi to him really fast. Is that okay? You know, but I, I never, I mean, and I was there until I think they all left. And even when the twins moved in and Crystal and all that. So I saw the transition of it. And it was everything that's being said now, I just feel like sometimes I'm like, was I the oblivious one? Then I'm like, no way, you know, being friends with, you know, people I've lived there for a very long time, like Kendra, Mm -hmm. never, ever, ever heard anything ill of that man until now. You know what, this, uh, this A&E documentary, it has a really dark undertone. I think that's the motive and the purpose of it. I think that what I find ironic is it's it's seemingly giving voices to women to speak their truth and, and talk about their part. hurt. Yeah. But it's really making them look like victims who never had a choice. I will reiterate, every one of those women mm-hmm. had a choice to be there, to participate or not. It's, so you're empowering women by making them look like complete victims who couldn't walk away. I, I just have a conflict with that. I just feel it's very calculated and very manipulative. And I think it's using tidbits um, and creating what it wants to create. Mm-hmm. I think it's trying to turn it into like a me too, but it's really doing a disservice to to a lot of true victims out there. Yes. But and I agree. I, and I think that's like the kind of the kind of the part that's like, yes, I want to support women and I want to, you know, be there and hear all of this. But it's just so hard, especially in this kind of situation when, you know, I know that you're, uh, you know, like a listener, not you don't know much about it. But, you know, I was there for a good 10 years. I have, you know, my best friends live there forever. I, I know so many friends. And it's like I feel like when I said earlier, like a twilight zone, like what the actual is going on? Like, what is the benefit of these women going on this a special saying this when Hef's not even here to defend himself? That's the other thing. Why is this happening so many years after he's dead? He can't defend himself. He can't contradict the stories. You know, they're not actually showing proof. I'm an attorney. I have a law degree. Not practicing. Um, I rescue dogs instead now. (laughs) But um, he's not here to defend himself. Okay, so innocent until proven guilty. They're not actually showing proof and evidence. It's not like a true crime show where like, look, this happened. They're alleging. And these women are often speaking about other women who aren't speaking for themselves. Can and so you, why aren't that, they speaking up? I, I understand. Why is that? How is that allowed? Being a lawyer, I'm right. serious. I, like I how is... We'll find out what the fallout well, will Holly's be. Holly's story actually, it contradicts itself because she was saying she was in this situation, right? She stayed in this relationship for the five years or whatever seven, it was. Seven, seven Seven that years. she was there. And then she, in the A&E series, she says there was this one moment that they're having dinner or lunch at the table and Hef says something vulgar in her ear and she said she was done. She packed her things and left. So the story is a little contradicting because in that one moment, she packed up and left. 
Uh, she could have left at any moment. Did she also mention that she was already seeing Chris Angel in yes, Vegas sure. and had a gig lined up? Okay, yeah. Absolutely. Let's, let's not forget that little detail. Let's not forget that. Well, I would imagine most people like me did not know that. Yeah, she met him while she was in Vegas with half, and she already started that relationship and had a gig lined up for a show, which I'm sure Chris Angel helped her with. So no girl left the Playboy Mansion until and unless she had something else set up for herself. That was usually... Unless she got kicked out. How, unless right. she got kicked out and right. Right, right. Yeah. And then I got the call and I had to bring up the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what Start I'm taking away from this so, is that you had the best job. Right? Renee, you, you keep saying that you are talking, you can only talk for the two years that are there. Um, and the early is the 70s and the 80s, what went on. But we do have Joel and Allison who are long life friends right. of Hef oh, yeah. that are coming in next to okay. talk about that 70s era they, and on. I'm still friendly with them. They come to our home. Whenever I was there, I uh, wasn't interested in having a best friend or any of that. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just, I was a, I was a young mother, a single mom since day one, never been married. And once uh, my daughter started befriending uh, the boys, Cooper and Marston that lived next door, I met Kimberly Hefner. And I was friends with Julie McCullough that also lived there. And Hef allowed me pretty much open door policy if I wanted to go through the little gate, the little yeah. The little door to get to their property. As so long as I was back by nine o'clock, and even if uh, a lot of times we would watch movies and stuff and, on the weekends, mm-hmm. and you know my daughter was there and stuff, and with the boys, and he would say, "That's okay, you can stay there after nine o'clock because I know where you're at, and security will let me know." Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many other former girlfriends that Kimberly Hefner allowed to do that, but I was over there two or three times a week for two almost two years. And I'm still friendly with her. She just text messaged and called me yesterday. And Mary O'Connor was my saving grace. I she was Mary. the grandmother that that I lost at a young age. And she was like my little stepping grandmother. And she was my saving grace. She introduced me to my husband, whom I'm married to. And she taught me how to play card games, not bridge, not not old people card games, she said. We play, <laughs> you know, euchre and, and card games that I've never played. And she said the one thing she always carried in her purse was a deck of cards. Because it's a good way to open up a conversation and to meet people and, you know, have a a, a thoughtful conversation. And I can't even count how many times I sat at the mansion and played cards with her. Fast forward to whenever I left, lo and behold, I was living in Toluca Lake and she was in Valley Village. So started playing cards at her house every Monday. And then she started wanting to bring me over on Saturdays. And Mark Saganor was there and so many people from the mansion have gone there. Uh, fast forward to Mary O'Connor is no longer with us. I was with her until the day she died. Uh, she gave me my bridal shower and my baby shower. And these ladies, they're in their 80s. Her sister-in-law, uh, Gail Bugliosi, married to the great Vincent Bugliosi. She's my second mother, um, the, the McCabes. They're in my house every Monday and every Friday because on her deathbed, I, I said, I would forever, your friends were my friends, and we will continue this. And we're also here. Yeah. And and we're all still together. And I, I don't like the way that they're dragging Mary, saying that she was a drug runner and oh. stuff. That makes my blood boil uh, to the point where it's it's just so disgusting and it's just so wrong. Shame on them. And the other night when we were playing cards, I don't, I'm not going to say which lady it was, but she's like, I hope half and I hope 
Mary, I hope they haunt their asses for this. It's <laughs> 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 uh, just as a matter of fact, right? And I know that they've also tried to drag uh, the late Vincent Bugliosi. If you don't know who he is, he put Charles Manson away. He wrote Helter Skelter. He's written very many books, uh, lots of law books based on true crime. And they've tried to say that Hef was fascinated with uh, Charles Manson. No. He yes, never please, asked. Please address this. this he, ne- he never asked. And my... Uh, my rep- my representation uh, helped Gail Bugliosi a few weeks ago when all this started coming out to to drop a press release, and she was able to speak on behalf of her late husband. and And they started going up there in the seventies. And the reason why they started going up there was that was back when Hef would still play tennis. And Vincent went to college in Florida on a tennis scholarship. He was a very good tennis player. And that's how their friendship developed. At no time did he ever want to know the particulars of that trial and of that case. And he he never was fascinated with it. He never uh, treated us girls like the way Charles Manson may have perhaps treated women. It, it was just, just so, so crazy. It's so disgusting. It's just it's so disgusting. So and, and and Gail's in her 80s and and she was bothered by this to the point where she wanted to speak out. It's just it's just so wrong. You know, we're talking about that comparison that was made. Yes. Like Hep was obsessed with Charles Manson. Yes. Why did his best friends put the guy away in prison? Hello. How insulting is this? Yeah, I, about the snuff videos and stuff like that. Yes, I just want to thank you. I can tell how much love you guys have. I mean, Renee, you're almost in tears talking about certain people and individuals, and it all started with Hef, you know? These ladies have never had children of their own. My daughter is their Nona. Yeah. For Grandparents Day at her school, they're there. Yeah. At Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter, they're in my home. They don't have the mansion to go to anymore. And that's- They're with me. That's something Hef did have. I mean, he he created all this. He had them all there. And I love that you're continuing his legacy by having them and keeping your word. That says a lot about you. And Isabella, for speaking up on Hef's behalf, like he's he's not here. He's not able to do that. So he's definitely looking down right now. And I think he is just, he. I don't think he could be happier yeah, with the three of you in here. People who, who would come in here and speak their truth, right? Because and, and, you don't have to. Well, None of you I, have to. I, I believe that there's only one truth. I don't believe in my truth. I believe you can have a story of your experience, but there's only one truth. That's it. And Hef never, and this is important, the whole time I was there, he never once asked us to sign a non-disclosure. Which is crazy, by the way. That should speak volumes, okay? And he knew that people wrote books and profited off of it. He didn't care. And I think that maybe fate I don't know. I haven't seen her since we I left the mansion in October of 2003. Oh, wow. And I didn't okay. know it until just recently that my back retainer wall to my property. We're neighbors. She's she's in the house right behind me. So, oh so there's that. And we, yeah. have, we have not seen each other since October of 2003 until today. She picked that's, me up and brought me here. Oh, and that's guys, amazing. That's just so great. <laughs> so we're getting so like much. for yeah. Thank you for having us, you guys. <laughs> yes. Thank, Thank you. you for just sharing you. your truth, yep. each of you, individually, what you have, what your experience was with Hef at the mansion, with Playboy. It, it just is enlightening to hear as someone who is so twice removed from the situation, but in light of the a and E series and everything that Holly is saying, it is really great to have you guys come Thank in here you. and speak yeah. your truth and Thank share you. what your experience was because it does totally contradict. I do want to. I do want to pass along one thing that my husband asked me to speak about today. He went up to the Playboy Mansion in 1984 before you guys were even born, right? And he was. No, I'm an 81 baby. He was <laughs> 83. He was. Pro- <laughs> he was probably one of the most uh, recognized 
man on the planet in nineteen in the eighties. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he was a ladies' man. Never did drugs, but he was a ladies' man. And he wanted me to pass this along to you. At one of the parties, and Brian was there. At one of the parties, he went up to a bar because a lot of times there's makeshift bars throughout, you know, the tinted area. He went up to the bar, and there was a woman there. He didn't know who she was. He was not hitting on her in any way, shape, or form. They were just making small talk. Mm-hmm. Did not take anyone home, anything like that. Parties happen on a Saturday. The following Monday, Mary O'Connor calls him and said, Scotty, you were hitting on Brandy Roderick or talking with Brandy Roderick, and that's Hef's number one girl. And he's like, oh, shit, I don't know. I didn't even know her name. I just thought she was a pretty girl, and we were just talking. We were just making small talk. Well, Hef's going to— um, He's gonna he's gonna put you on a timeout for a few months, okay? And 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 <laughs> Hef loves letters and stuff because he he's a he's a great collector and anything written on paper addressed to him, he's gonna keep it for his yeah. scrapbook. So, uh, as your as your dear friend Scotty, I'm asking you to maybe write him out a letter and say, you know, no cry, no foul. I didn't really mean for that to happen. You know, it was an oh shit moment. I didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. And once he did that. That ban was lifted and he was welcome back in two. So I wanted to address this because I think on the first episode, uh, one of the girls on the A&E said that uh, Hef would take all of his girls and pass them around, uh-huh. you know, and, and stuff. No. And make no mistake, that never happened. And even when we went out, if you had to go to the restroom, you had security that followed you. So I just wanted to put that out no, there. That I, Even my husband was like, and, and again, it was just small talk with Brandy Roderick. Yeah. Nothing. Of I, know, I can't imagine a world where that was, you know, that many girlfriends that something like that would happen that one man wouldn't, you know, w- want to just like keep his people, his no, people are just like keep that sacred for any matter but whatsoever. But that's how forgiving and half is. He wrote him a letter and that's all it took. So I love that you shared that. And we're going to continue this conversation with Joel and Allison, who are going to speak about the 70s in the mansion. I'm Jessica Hall. And I'm Deanna Stagliano. And this is Flashbacks. Flashbacks. 